Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Who are all you people? (laughs) Is there anybody here I don't know? Hands. First, thank you all for coming out. I really, I really appreciate it because, you know, I, I've launched the book here at Skylight now four or five different times, and the worry never ceases that nobody's going to show up. Uh, I don't have that problem with other stores, but here it just drives me nuts. I say, nobody's going to be here. This is it. They'll never have me back. Uh, so thank you, and collect your check on the way The store closes uh, at 9. We'll be through by 9.30. I'm just getting organized For you, they'll stay up later than... Open later than nine. Yeah, and if you have to leave, just give me your home address. I'll come on over and tell you what you missed. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Uh, for those of you who have been here before, when I when I've done one of these things, you know one of the first questions I'm asked is always, "What's the book about?" and Without fail, I just stumble over a description. I'm just very bad at trying to explain I blabber. So I'm solving that in part tonight by having somebody read a couple of reviews for me. It will also help save what's left of my voice for the excerpt that I do plan to read. Uh, The the fellow who... uh, agreed to participate in the program this evening, gave up a movie screening to be here. I wouldn't have given up a movie screening to be here. Uh, what movie? I have no idea. It's, it's, it's called I Have No Idea. <laughs> who's, who's in it? <laughs> What's his name? What's his name? Um, it's a woman's name. He, uh, he's an author of the book The Heart of Hollywood. The Heart of Hollywood was uh, a very popular show on radio for many, many years uh, where he was able to feature uh, as, his, uh, as his interview guest just about every leading light in Hollywood. Uh, I did the show three times, and of course I was the best. So he became a natural choice to help me out tonight. Hey, I, I didn't see you there till now. Um, he, he now conducts the Heart of Hollywood for the, the Motion Picture uh, and uh, Television Fund uh, out in 
Woodland Hills. Uh, this, this is where uh, old folks from the industry go to retire and get taken well care of. Uh, he does uh, interview shows for, on tape and on video. And to me it's very important because a lot of the folks out there who are retired are names you might know and he is able to capture a record of them and their memories uh, while they have them, which of course I'm already having problems with. I'm, I'm now vamping because I'm trying to remember his name. It's Joe. Joe! Good to see you here. <laughs> please, please say hello to, to my very, very dear friend, Joe Sutton. So this review is by D.P. Lyle, uh, the award-winning author of the Samantha Cody and Dub Walker thriller series. Lainey Gardner had been a long-time L.A. music mogul until her life spun out of control and she was implicated in a murder. Now she is dogged by assistant D.A. Harry Roman, who believes in her guilt. But former lover Tom Newberry offers hope a way out from under Roman's heels and back into the music biz. But at what price? All she has to do is worm her way into the world of the wealthy and dangerous Leonard Volkman and steal a highly secret file. What could possibly go wrong? In a word, everything. What evil deeds we do is a wild ride through L.A.'s high rollers and lowlifes. There are no lowlifes in the music business, we know that. A fast and fun read. Okay, that's one. And this one is by Stacy Elisi. By the way, you know who I was supposed to see tonight? It was The Last Days in Vietnam by Bobby Kennedy's daughter, Rory Kennedy. And it's supposed to be an incredible documentary about the Vietnam War. I'm going to go to the movie. No, no, I'll see it tomorrow. <laughs> They're going to screen it. But it's interesting because Shirley MacLaine was out there last week. And it's not only the older people, young people are coming out, they want to see what's going on out there. So we do some really interesting stuff. None of them as good as yours, I promise you. Okay, here we go by Stacy Elisi from Booklist. Lainey Davies Gardner does not get on very well with her daughter Sarah, but she doesn't want to lose custody, which seems likely when Assistant District Attorney Harry Roman comes after in this thriller that makes around the music, makes that snakes around the music business. Roman is convinced that Gardner hired someone to kill her own husband, and he won't leave any stone unturned to prove it. Gardner is a gutsy woman, sure of herself, and willing to do whatever it takes to stay out of jail and keep her daughter. An old boyfriend offers to help, but there is a quid pro quo. Gardner needs to seal a file from the scary head of a phony film company, which leads to still more trouble. The writing is crisp and hard-boiled, reminiscent of the golden age of Chandler and Hammett, but with a modern twist. Levinson's first career was in, music, was in the music business, lending much credence to the story. Elmer Leonard and Lawrence Block films will find plenty to like in, Leonard, in Levinson's latest. The evil deeds we do.
Thank you very much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Yeah, what's it about? <laughs> I had a partner once. In fact, I had him twice. Now you know why I won't have him again. <laughs> Alra. <laughs> Now, comes, comes now an excerpt from chapter one. Let me start this way. Lenny Davis Gardner recalls the night tragedy struck when she was a music industry powerhouse and she and her husband Roy took their teenage daughter Sarah out for a birthday celebration at Sal's Littlest Sicily in Encino, in this excerpt from chapter one. <clears throat> For dessert, Sarah orders a tri-flavored Spumoni, unaware of the rich chocolate cake about to be served with 14 blazing candles, the 14th for good luck, and excused herself to spend a few minutes with a school chum who was dining out with her parents in a booth across the way. Thank you, my dear. Roy hand sizzled it was a good time to pull out Sarah's birthday gift, an 18-carat Peretti heart-shaped pendant on an 18-inch chain. She had admired it more than once in the days when Laney and Roy could afford shopping at Tiffany's and the other Beverly Hills gold mines along Rodeo Drive. To buy it for Sarah now, after the IRS had tied up every asset in claims, Laney had pawned the black and white pearl necklace she'd managed to hide from the feds when they came calling with search warrants. Roy tried talking her out of it, but he'd run out of legitimate sources for loans and covering the vigs demanded by sources you'd never want to meet in a dark alley was impossible. This he told her, breaking into horse tears. Laney reached into her handbag, but after a moment came up empty-handed and did a slap-off gesture against her forehead. <laughs> 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 I didn't get a chance to sneak the box out of the glove compartment, she said, and eased on to her feet. Be back in a minute, darling. If Sarah asks, just say I'm in the ladies. She'll know better. Of course she'll know better, doesn't she always? Just like her mother. Not best, just always, Laney said, giving Roy's shoulder a gentle squeeze as she passed by. Outside, past the dome-shaped burgundy canopy protecting the restaurant entrance, she turned her face against the light breeze and headed through the parking lot. The lot had been full, so Ray parked across the street, about a half block up, where the area turned residential and slim palm trees began forming regimental fashion on the parkway lanes. Nearing the sidewalk, she bumped shoulders with a man nine or ten inches taller than her own 5'7", 
half his face buried inside the turned-up collar of his camel hair coat, the rest of him covered in a traveling shadow as a quarter moon glided into a bank of gray clouds. He grunted and hurried on, slashed over like a fullback racing for the end zone. Laney reached the car, a ten-year-old Camry, one of Roy's friends from the Masons, one of the few friends who hadn't abandoned him, had sold him for $900 on credit, a personal loan with no interest or due date. She fumbled for several moments in the semi-darkness, getting the key into the lock, heard what sounded like a car backfiring as she was pulling Sarah's gift from the glove box. Then, a second backfire. She recognized it was more than backfire when she was halfway back to the restaurant. Dozens of customers were at, racing out of sounds, their voices tinged with fright as they got into their cars and roared away. She tried to make sense of what they were saying, but it was only a jumble of noise. The tumult grew louder the closer she got, cries and screams pouring out the entrance. She heard the words dead and killed, murdered, shot, and a scream louder than any other noise. At once she knew at her heart, pounding like a jackhammer, that it was her precious Sarah screaming, and Sarah's scream loud to the sky, barely a break for breath before it moved an octave higher. Higher again and again, Sarah screaming, absorbing every other sound, attacking Laney's head. Terrified for her daughter, Laney fought through the bottleneck of customers elbowing, pushing and shoving their way out of the restaurant. She pushed past the least of them into the di main dining room, where some customers were still frozen over their chicken parmesan, shocked beyond panic, staring as if in a hypnotic trance at Sarah and Roy. She lay out her own scream, a burst of horror, when she saw Sarah back in the booth, her face enclosing bloody, covered with bits of brain and bone, shaking the lifeless body of her daddy. What remained of his face drowning in Linguini with clams, his left arm dangling, fingers wrapped tightly around an empty wine glass. Laney screamed again, she got to the booth and somehow managed to pull Sarah loose from her daddy, then wrapped her arms around him in a way that sheltered Sarah from the sight of Roy. She tried to comfort Sarah with meaningless words. It's okay, baby. Everything is okay, baby. Mommy's here. Mommy's here, my sweetheart. Sarah moved past hysteria to giant heaves of sobbing her tears making rivers through the blood and gunk on her face. The blood and gunk transferred on to her mother, who hugged her child closer and harder, adding her own tears to the mix as police sirens grew louder outside Sal's little Sicily. I dropped the humor after that, and we get on to more serious stuff. <laughs> Questions or comments at this point? No? Not even one? What caliber was the weapon? 
It, it was a half, 38. Yeah. You've written 12 books. Where did you get the concept? 13. 13. Where did you get the concept for each book? Uh, ooh. Where's the I, concept for this book? I'm not telling. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have an easy answer for that, Joe. Uh, basically, when I, when I finally say, well, I could do this or I could do that. Your wife, my mother wants you to put the mic close to your neck. <laughs> <laughs> Never used to be the mic. Never used to be the mic. I have an idea, and that's all it is, an idea. I, I think I know how the story, whatever the story becomes, will end. But I'm never sure. I write the beginning, and I just vamp my way through. Uh, my attitude has always been, since the onset, that if I don't know what's going to happen next, and I'm surprised, then chances are good the reader would be surprised. Uh, I just have never been able Hi, Dick. I've never been able to do an outline. Uh, and if I did, I, I, I know I wouldn't stick to it, so I, I don't bother. I just jump right in. No cards, no nothing? Uh, uh, no, but about a third of the way into the book, I start anticipating what may happen next, and I'll make a note to myself. doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but it sort of points me in a direction. Done and then done and then done. <laughs> Can people in the music business actually be this mean and awful? <laughs> you gotta be kidding. All right. <laughs> Let's take a vote. How many say yes? Hands? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a customer business on many levels. Uh, because there's so much at stake in dollars and cents, uh, in reputation, uh, in work. Uh, you think uh, the movie business is bad? Come on into the record business. But here again, I'm not talking about the record business today. I don't know it. I, I'm just so out of touch. I'm the guy who, whatever the year was, I, I was doing uh, an annual lecture on the music business at UCLA. And one, one of the kids uh, in the audience asked a question. He said, what do you think of rap? I said, it's a fad. It won't be around in a year. <laughs> a year later, that's how I knew it was time for me to get out of the business. <laughs> You started a hint at something that I'm not a writer, but story arc. Yeah. You said about a third of the way into it that you begin to kind of plot yeah. the rest. Yeah. Is that really kind of a story arc? I don't. I, I don't know. I've never understood the term to tell you the truth. Well, you I'm know, still learning. The bottom goes up to the middle and then keeps going. I, I, I'm still learning. I, I uh, had a meeting once with uh, a director about who, who I was hoping would get involved in a project with me, and he read an outline of, of something based on uh, somebody else's book. And he says, I don't see the story arc. 
I had no idea, none whatsoever, what he meant. And I just fumbled my way past that. Oh, the movie never got made. But do you know the twist? You said you know the ending and you know the beginning. So do you know the twist? Uh, no, I, ha I have an idea of how the story will end, and it very rarely does. Uh, and, and with a number of the books, I reached that point where I have to make a decision. I can do this or this or this, and I'm not sure which. And, and I have to stop long enough to say, well, I think this is the one that will work best. And do the characters guide you? Do the characters... The characters the, much earlier, the characters take over the story. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean I can't come up... Yeah. Uh, a good example of that is... Many books ago, the James Dean affair, where I reached a point in the story where I had absolutely no idea how it was going to end. And I even surprised myself then with the ending I chose. Al? Are well, your music business characters based on anyone that in the past? <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 well, I, I don't mean. <laughs> Or is it a montage of a number of characters that would, that would become the one character? That's a safe answer. You can't <laughs> They're dead ones because you can't libel the dead. Uh, yeah, but I, I, there are no real names. And most of the characters of the book, uh, in the music business especially, uh, are, are a combination of this guy, this guy, this guy. I've had Macy uh, in a number of books, but Macy's always been Macy. Because uh, I know he's not going to sue me. <laughs> uh, and uh, Harvey Keller, my dear friend, the late Harvey, has been in uh, a number of books, but I invariably changed his first name because that was a running joke between us for many, many years. Uh, George, the late, great. Uh, radio icon George Wilson uh, is, is in a book in a scene set in uh, Dallas in, in, no no in Nashville uh, where I have him and uh, Claude Hall who was a columnist for uh, uh, for Billboard I, ha I have them as a performing duo <laughs> Uh, stuff, you know, stuff like that you can't resist when, you, when you're dealing with people that you know quite well and you're having fun. Um, there, there are probably other examples. Like there, I think the promotion, the promotion man in the evil deeds we do, if I recall correctly, is an ex-marine uh, whose habit was still. Uh, sewing the seams in his pants and that was based on a, a very dear friend who's no longer around uh, I, I, I don't know if, you, if any of you will guess because I'm not going to give his name but he was, he was one of the, uh, the best sales guys and marketing guys in the business have I over answered that question? not yet <laughs> Kind of 
it's, if I don't base it on a person, I have more latitude to do with the character uh, as, as I want. And here, here again, it goes back to that point. If I, if I said, if I had somebody, uh, a, a, a vice president at an important radio station named Michelle Staub, if I had her, and that, it, she's introduced in chapter 2 and in chapter 11, she kills this one or that one. I have a problem. Yeah, she might have killed the wrong guy. <laughs> That's it. Yes, stranger in the green shadow. Oh, a famous author in whose presence I am happy to bask. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dad. Um, <laughs> I've noticed over the course of your, what did you say, was 13? 13. 13, 13 yeah. books, that they've gotten a little bit darker from the, you know, the madcap books I described as Nick and Nora, Nick and Nora, Charles, Nick and Nora, Charles for the 2000s, yeah. to a much darker vision of the world. Why? Not that there's anything wrong with it, but why? It's, it's, a, it's a good question. Let me, let me start off by saying the fir my first four books were a part of a series uh, de dealing with a newspaper columnist and his soap star wife, Neil and Stevie. And after the fourth book, I could, have, I could have written the fifth in the series, but I was locked into characters, and I, I, I wanted to do other things. I wanted to, to write uh, other kinds of stories other ways. And, and so I had to just run away from the series, and the readers who, a lot of them who prefer series, they, they just want to eat. Uh, the same character year after year after year after year and they don't recognize that a lot of those authors are writing the same story, the same book year after year. So as, as I started doing standalone novels such, such as The Evil Deeds We Do, uh, they did get darker uh, and, and why, I don't know, except it, to me it made a better story. Uh, the joke there is, uh, and, and I'll sort of do the reveal now, uh, I got asked so many times uh, to bring back Neil and Stevie, even though I've been using them in short stories, that next year's book is, is The Return of Neil and Stevie. <laughs> See what I mean? Uh, and it was fun. Because it, it, it's a prequel that's not really a prequel. Uh, and it's probably the darkest Neil and Stevie. Uh, the, uh, in a way, yes. In a way, yes. Uh, or he was a secondary character that just runs away, was running away with every scene he was in, very popular. And I, I built some of the Ellery Queen and Alfred Hitchcock's short stories around him. I, you know, it's terrible. I'm talking this way in front of, in front of Dick Lockerty, an old friend who is one of the finest mystery writers, uh, uh, writer of many other things there is. 
and, and if you haven't read anything by Dick, do yourself a favor and, and correct that immediately. Do we start with Sleeping Dog? It's a good one. That, that, that's, that's his review. It's a good one. But I'm, I'm serious. I wouldn't say that if I didn't mean it. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't. Joe? <laughs> uh, Are you going to write your own story? No. Uh, I, I, Joe's question was, am I going to write my own story? I've been asked that many times. I saw, uh, there was even a publisher who sent a contract uh, to me to, to write about my years in, in, in the entertainment industry and predominantly the music business and then the movie business. And I, I was in PR, for those of you who don't know. And... Uh, I've always said the same thing. They didn't hire me to give away their secrets. And that, that's what the publishing houses want. They, they want those stories that will take you on to the Today Show or the Tomorrow Show or the next week's show, whatever those shows are. Uh, so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. That, that's my hesitation, Joe. I did write uh, something a few years ago that I, I've never submitted for publication. When I was a little kid, this way, not that way, uh, I collected autographs uh, in Hollywood. And this is in the days when the movies were full of movie stars. So I, I sat down and wrote a book dealing with how I got this autograph, that autograph, and so on. Uh, I had it read by a few people who loved it. Uh, and, and I just, even there, I can't bring myself oh, Dad, you need to do it. To, to do it. Uh, oh, sorry, I thought that was my inside the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my daughter, all right. She just gave herself away. Uh, the, the first book, The Elvis and Maryland Affair, uh, uh, so much of it is said it's the motion picture country home. But because of, of negative aspects on campus, such as murder, uh, I, I didn't want to embarrass uh, the motion picture country home. So I invented one down the street a few miles. And now it, it's years later, and I'm doing Joe's show, and his, the other guest is the fellow who was running at the time, running the motion picture country home. So I, I told that story, and Ken said, oh, you should have. We can use the publicity. <laughs> so you, you never know. Uh, I, I want to make one other point. Are, are we okay on time? You got an hour. Uh, huh? You got an hour. 8.30. Oh, but I haven't brought on the dancing girls in the UCLA band. Uh, it is only 8.30? Oh, yeah, but it has to be the... the I lied. I lied. Um, there, there's this clamor nowadays uh, for people who are saying women get short shrift in books, in movies, on television. Uh, they're, they're always the secretary or the second lead. Uh, 
uh, and the, the, the male always dominates and that's not right and that's not fair and it, it brought me to a realization that I never considered before I write powerful women I write strong women and I've been doing that almost since the very first book uh, I don't know why it's just turned out that way in, in this book uh, she's very, very strong. I, I, I don't think it was in any of those reviews, but here's somebody who, uh, somebody who. Uh, Gardner is a gutsy woman, sure of herself. She's been, she's been knocked down time and again, and every time she's picked herself up and made a success of herself all over again. And of course, in this book, she's facing her greatest challenge, because she has to be very strong, go back to what she never, uh, what she hasn't done in a long time, run a record company, uh, and save, save her daughter, save her in their relationship. Uh, I, I think I finally figured out that uh, th this concept of the, of, of the powerful woman is based on my wife who always let and she's fair she always lets me do what she wants <laughs> are we done? are we through? are you tired of hearing me? No. oh really? Then you gotta ask us what you have. You help me out here, Do you Linda. Write every something every day, or if not actual writing, are you thinking while you're in the process? I'll, or do you take days off? I'll answer it in reverse. The mind is always working. Uh, I write every day. Uh, I write for most of the, the day. Although I start, I'm older now, so I start later. It's a it's a perk of aging. Uh, I'll break for lunch, I'll go back to it for an hour or two, and I'm usually finished five o'clock, sometimes six. So it's a job. And, and one of the advantages, you can do it in your pajamas. Yes. Uh, you take days off though? Do you sign no. them away? It's rare that I do. Uh, you know, even on weekends, uh, we're, we have to get a lot of shopping, marketing, and errands out of the way. Uh, by the time that starts, I've, I've probably written a bit or, or done something else that involves the books. Uh, having, having to do promotion like this, if you will, cuts into time. Uh, but I, I, I'm good for two books a year in the writing. That, that's why I'm already so far ahead on... Uh, next year's book, and, I, and I'm already at work on the book after that. Do you write chronologically? Yes. Think, what, what's your process? Do you, do you just, do you have a page count that you want, that you, that's just a, a goal for the day, or a number of words, and do you read what you wrote yesterday before you write what you're going to write today? Great yes. Question. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't work toward any number uh, any specific number of, of words, because I, again, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, some, sometimes I have to sit 
and, and work out a paragraph in my mind, it can be an hour. And other times, it, boom, it's, it's right there. Um, I forgot the rest of the you, question. What you wrote yesterday oh, you write every morning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I quit whatever, I, when, when I just run dry, uh, I get too tired to continue and I'm not going to force myself to make any particular number of words. Uh, but what I find is that on a good day, it, it might be around 1,500, and on an average day, it's probably half that. Uh, I'll write a book and let it marinate a little, then I'll, I'll go back and read it. But basically, I'm editing as I go along. So the first draft could be the fourth draft or the fifth draft or whatever. Uh, and I, I mean, that's, that's just my work, my, my method. So it does follow basically chronologically? Oh, yeah, I could not write out a sequence. Do you ever get an idea of, wait, down, oh, I can see this happening, and you kind of make a note? And then I'll make a note. Later? I'll make a note, yeah. But as I said earlier, I mean, by the time I get to that note, things may have changed out. Do you know now the storyline for your next book? Yeah. Uh, subjects to uh, change. But, but I do. And I don't remember the title, so I can't tell you what it's about. We're not talking about The Stardom Affair, which is next year's book, Neil and Stevie. And, and that was fun to do, because I'd been away from them for so long. When, uh, when, when do you let other people beside yourself read? Uh, when, when you... Ready to send it off to the publisher, or before uh, that? Only two people read it before it goes off: my wife and my daughter, who who reads everybody. They both do. They always have their nose not on a book. What are those things called? Oh, Kindle. Kindle. I, I, I mean, they just read and read and read. And, and I have to break in with what I've <laughs> and they'll they'll make comments you know their job is to tell me how wonderful it is <laughs> but, but, but they might also catch typos and stuff like that it's, uh, then it goes to the acquiring editor I've, I've been with uh, Five Star now for nine books Eight, yeah, this or next year it's the ninth, uh, and and pretty much I sent it off and it's bought. I I've never been asked to rewrite. I've been very fortunate that way. Wow. Never, never. Uh, the the closest I came uh, was with uh, the. Uh, uh, Daniel Warhol affair, hot paint, where uh, my editor at the time said, "Would you, would you think about this, uh, this, these pages? Because, uh, it was very early in the book because it seems to set the story off in the wrong direction." She was right, so I just all I had to do was remove the pages. 
uh, and not to fear that. And a couple of years later, you, 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 you hate to give up on anything. I, I turned uh, those pages into a short story which ran in Ellery Queen. If, if you can find it, it's called An Appointment Up the Mountain. Uh, and, it, and it's based on a, a trip going from Germany to Austria uh, up, up and over the mountain with uh, Alan, Alan, uh, Alan Hamill and Suzanne Summers. All of them figure in the story. But that's it's what amounts to research when you can do something like that. Yes? Were you writing, uh, when you were a kid doing PR in Hollywood, were you also writing novels on the side? I wasn't, I wasn't a kid when I was doing PR. Uh, but the, the first newspaper I ever worked for was a neighborhood newspaper I turned out on the typewriter and then went door to door. Want to read my newspaper? Thanks, I'll take a go to the next. Want to read my newspaper? So I've always, I've always been a writer of some sort. I've been typing since I was eight years old. Uh, and uh, I always wanted to be a newspaper man. And that's how I started. I went from newspapers into PR, into my own company, into television, uh, writing and production, and finally did what I, I really had always wanted to do, which was write a novel. And like, like so many others who say it, all I want to do is, is write, write a book and get it published. I'll be the happiest guy in the world. And I wrote a book. It took me 16 months or thereabouts to uh, first find an agent, then find a publisher. Uh, and the big surprise came when they sent me back, or took me back to New York for a meeting with the publisher to discuss marketing. Uh, and over, over lunch at some very expensive restaurant. So, Sonny, do you have any recall of the restaurant? What? What, are you talking about tap dance? No, I'm talking about the restaurant. The restaurant where he went back to New York for his first novel, and they wined and dined. The expensive restaurant. I wasn't with you. <laughs> 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 you sure? <laughs> you were there at a later, at a later trip. It's a restaurant by the a Bobby Flay restaurant, uh, right? And we were, and we were having this wonderful lunch, and you know, trading ideas and so forth. And finally, the vice president of something said, uh, "What about the next book? Have, have you figured out what it's going to be?" And I was stunned. I had no idea whatsoever there was going to be a next book. And I, I just had to live my way uh, into the James Dean affair. Then, uh, side story. What's the next book? My editor says, what's it going to be? And I said, I was thinking... Uh, I was thinking about doing... Uh, I think I said the Rolling Stones. And she said, no, nobody's going to know who that is. <laughs> so I said, how about John Lennon? Better. 
you know, first he, he had been in the news, <laughs> so on. Uh, then with, with the next book, which, which started out as the Andy Warhol affair, uh, I got a call and said, can we reconsider the title? Nobody knows who, who Andy Warhol is, you know, out, out, out of the art world. And that's how it became hot paint. And of course, uh, a Warhol painting nowadays sells for the millions. He, you know, he's, he's become uh, the image of that, those times. And that was based on reading Andy and hanging out with him and so forth. I used his name. Where's that question? Yes. Is there anything in the contemporary news or or events going on that sort of trigger or stimulate a thought of, of a memory of the time period you're writing in that sort of you know sets you back and says, Oh, wait a minute, that happened sixties uh, and stuff uh, I, I think I have writer's disease. Everything strikes me as a story idea. Seriously. I say, Oh yeah, that might make a good story that might make a good story. Uh, and then I, I forget, uh, and some of the things that I, I, I say to, to my wife, Cassandra, how does this sound like a, a story? And she says, it's fine, you can remember? And I say, of course not. And, and she, she writes it down, you know, whether we're in the car or in the house. This is me being subtle. Oh. <laughs> It's a very nice watch. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it takes a lithium, but it keeps on ticking. It lights up, too. So. Oh. <laughs> Let me show you my watch. I'm old-fashioned. We'll do one more question, or...? Would you be signing books tonight? <laughs> oh. Yes, you just reminded me, Sandra the bag. I want, I want to do something uh, b before we shut down for the year, <laughs> other than signing books. And, and if you bought a book, thank you for buying a book. Because it makes me look good with the store, with the publisher, and, and it keeps the fire burning for me. And you enjoy reading it, too. Oh. Uh, two people I want to I want to especially thank with uh, my evil deeds we do have. One is for, for Joe for giving up his movie. I really appreciate it, Joe. And the and the other is for the purveyor of the best ice cream you can find in this town. Dandy Don Whittemore, who provided the complimentary ice cream tonight as he has in past years. And if, if you find it as delicious as I'm sure you will into your taste, you can find it next door at 42, 38, whatever that restaurant is. Fred 62. Fred 62. Am I correct, Don? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. <coughs> thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. 
Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.